Hello and welcome to this Over the Farm Gate Trade and Policy Special Podcast, brought to you by Farmers Guardian and AHDB. I'm your host this week, Farmers Guardian Chief Reporter Abby Kay. Don't forget, you can stay up to date with all Farmers Guardian's latest podcasts by subscribing through your favourite platform, whether that's Spotify, Google, Apple, Stitcher or Acast. This month, we're taking a closer look at the UK's decision to apply to join the Comprehensive and Progressive Agreement for Trans-Pacific Partnership, more commonly known as the CPTPP, both of which are a mouthful. The CPTPP is a multilateral trade deal between 11 countries, including Australia, New Zealand, Canada, Chile, Japan, Mexico and Vietnam. The agreement doesn't create a single market against the EU's, so regulations across its members aren't uniform, but the deal does seek to remove barriers to trade, such as tariffs. Farm leaders have sounded a note of caution about joining the agreement, citing concerns about access to the UK market for foreign produce and a possible impact on food production standards. So, what's the truth of the situation? How will the CPTPP affect UK agriculture? Here to discuss this issue with us, we have trade policy expert Sam Lowe, who is a senior research fellow at the Centre for European Reform, and Amandeep Kaur-Poraval, senior policy analysis at AHDB. Thank you both for joining us. Amandeep, let's start with you. A nice positive question to ease us in. What are the potential benefits of joining the CPTPP for UK farmers? Are there any sectors or products in particular which will get a boost? Thanks, Abby. Before I answer that question, I think I'm just going to set the scene and provide a bit of context here. So if we look at total UK agricultural trade, uh, I'm just taking the 2017-19 average, 9% of total UK ag trade um, in value terms went to the CPTPP compared with 61% for the EU. For imports, you know, again, it's more biased towards the EU as well compared to CPTPP. And that that ag trade includes all food, feed and drink. If we break that down a bit further into the different sectors, so I'm looking at 2019 figures here, UK beef exports to the CPTPP were about 3% of total ag trade exports, and compared with, for example, the EU, which is about over 80%. Dairy, we're looking at 4% for CPTPP, compared with about 70, over 75% for the EU. Pork, around 2% for CPTPP, and around about 50% for the EU. Sheep meat, only about half a percent is going to the CPTPP in terms of exports, with over 90% going to the EU. At the moment, you can see that those figures are fairly modest compared to our total ag trade. Only beef, dairy and pork range between 2 to 4%. But in terms of the potential benefit here, we'd say we're looking at the type of countries that are in the CPTPP. So there's an area there that is um, forecast to grow in GDP. And as those emerging middle class in the in that those areas um, increase you know, as wealth increases, you're looking at their propensity to spend more on luxury products such as meat, for example. So there's potential there that you could, you know, there's an emerging market there compared with the EU where growth is flat or stagnant. So that's definitely an opportunity going forward. And then, you know, there's other countries that are given indication that they would like to join the CPTPP, such as Thailand, Indonesia, Colombia, potentially might have China at some point. So again, that's those kind of markets would be good for UK exports in agriculture going forward. But at the moment, it's a very small affair. And you mentioned, obviously, how much how much of our exports go to the EU in comparison to countries in the CPTPP. I suppose I can imagine Liz Truss replying to that and saying, well, the global economy is going to change over the years to come. And as you say, this is an emerging market. Is there a chance that 
UK supply chains will get reconfigured after Brexit and that actually we might see less exports going to the EU and more to, to places like Asia. I think to some extent they're going to have to be reconfigured anyway as they as the, the system has been, you know, our supply chains are set up in many cases to have the EU as a close partner just because of the relationship that we've been in. The other factors I think to um, think about is in terms of, especially for ag trade and like, is the distances involved as well. So it kind of depends really on where the investment's going to be and how companies are going to respond and food manufacturers are going to respond to how they're going to set up those supply chains and what is um, feasible for getting certain products across the globe. What about the downside? So we all know trade policy is about trade-offs. Is there a risk to UK production standards from joining the CPTPP, um, which takes a more US-style approach to products like hormone-treated beef? Sam, what do you think about that? Well, I suppose the thing to understand is that the CPTPP's provisions on sanitary and phytosanitary uh, measures were written whilst the US was still a member. Um, the US then later left uh, the agreement and, and it got renamed to be to be comprehensive and progressive rather than just the Trans-Pacific Partnership. But these provisions are still there. And, and you could argue that they take a slightly more US approach to assessing risk when it comes to sanitary and phytosanitary measures than, for example, the EU would uh, in its own agreement and also within its own territory and and, and how it applies controls at the border. So I suppose then the question then is, if the UK does sign up to the CPTPP, does that mean it's then just automatically taken on board a US approach to sanitary and phytosanitary issues, and all of a sudden it has to allow the import of products that are currently banned, so such as hormone rate, rep reared beef or, or, or chicken and meat products that have been washed in some sort of, well, it's not chlorine, but, but that's, what, that's what it always gets called. And the answer is probably not. Uh, in that it is unlikely that the existing membership of the CPTPP would force the issue, in that the rules themselves may point to an approach to risk that is incompatible with the UK's current approach. But unless someone else actually forces the UK and makes a big deal of, of the UK and tries to get the UK to change it, then perhaps it doesn't, it doesn't matter. And it's unlikely that the Canadians will do so, the Australians will do so, the New Zealanders will do so. They're only really worried about market access in terms of tariffs. But it wouldn't surprise me if the UK, as part of its accession to the CPTPP, uh, didn't want to try and clarify this and, and ensure that there is some text, something written down that ensures that uh, it's not going to be a problem and can reassure people at home. That's interesting. Amandy, what are your thoughts on that? So the UK is essentially trying to join a club which has already set out its rules and regulations. But as Sam said, there will be, you know, like so Australia, it's up to the individual countries involved if they want to enforce that product standards or not. But then I think for the CPTPP, from a UK point of view, agriculture is not, you have to think, is really the full point of the whole reason why we want to join the CPTPP or maybe it's other sectors instead. And maybe for the UK bilateral agreements where you've got a bit more negotiating stance there, that will be the place to sort of iron out your production standards etc and those kind of issues. AHDB is the go-to organisation for news, views and analysis of how leaving the EU will affect our farming and growing sectors. You can find a host of levy pair focused tools and practical resources to get your business ready for the changes ahead at ahdb.org.uk slash eu 
dash exit. And how does all of this square with the UK's commitment to protect standards in trade deals? I mean, you've, you've touched on that saying the UK might want to seek some kind of text to say we can maintain the bans on hormone-treated beef and, and chlorinated chicken. Um, but ministers, they established a Trade and Agriculture Commission to give themselves a bit of breathing space on this whole standards issue. And the chairman of the TAC, Tim Smithy, recently told me that the commission intends to recommend that all food imports meet domestic production standards. Can this be done if the UK joins the CPTPP? And how likely do you think it is that the government is going to accept that recommendation? Sam, I'll come to you first on that one. So, so it depends on the specifics of what is actually recommended, but it does on the face of it seem slightly unlikely that the UK government's going to accept a recommendation that would require all for food produced elsewhere in the in the world to have been done so uh, to the same production standards as is required of UK farmers domestically in the UK. Trade policy tends to follow up, fo- focus on outcomes. So, so whether the product is safe or not, whether it is clean or not. So you can focus on things, say, such as pesticide residue on, on, on crops, or even in the case of hormone beef, you can arguably say that the hormones uh, remain part of the end product. But but it very rarely focuses on how things are made. That's not to say it's impossible to do so. You can, I think, in the context of free trade agreements, you could introduce conditionality in that you could say, as the EU has done with Mercosur in, 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 in the Mercosur countries with respect to certain egg products, you could say that you can have tariff-free trade for this product so long as it is produced in a certain way. And that's something that the UK could pursue. But in the context of the CPTPP, it seems unlikely that the other members would be willing to accept such an approach from the UK, especially as as it is their club that we are asking to join. They're not looking for a new member that wants to come in and change all of their existing approaches to doing things. Do you think you say that trade policy tends to focus on outcomes? Do you think that that's something that should change, though, with issues like climate change and antimicrobial resistance really getting higher up on the agenda? Should trade policy be looking at those issues as well, rather than just looking at whether a product is safe to eat or drink? I think trade policy has to evolve like everything else. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not too sort of evangelical on this. I think, I think trade policy ultimately reflects the sort of desires and wishes of the people and governments that implement it. So if it has to change, it has to change, and that's fine. I'm just sort of making the point that in the context of the CPTPP, it is unlikely that the UK will be able to join the CPTPP at the same time as saying to its existing membership that it will only open up tariff quotas or reduce tariffs on goods and products that have been produced to exacting UK standards. And I, I just it just doesn't seem like those two things are compatible to me. So the UK, as you mentioned, Sam, is already in the process of signing bilateral trade deals with several countries which are a party to the CPTPP. What does that mean for access to the UK market for foreign produce? Is it likely that the UK will have to give additional access when joining the CPTPP? So it's, it's going to be interesting because, as, as you say, in terms of the new countries we will have trade agreements with as a result of the CPTPP, if everything goes to plan, that will just be Malaysia and Brunei. So, it, so, so we will probably already have a trade agreement with New Zealand, already have a trade agreement with Australia, and we already have trade agreements uh, with everyone else. So my view is that the Australians, New Zealanders, and potentially the Canadians who we are currently having to renegotiate our deal with might use the CPTPP negotiation as an opportunity 
to reopen some discussions about market access for agriculture in the UK. My assumption is that in the bilaterals with New Zealand and Australia, the UK isn't going to offer tariff and quota-free trade for agriculture. There will be restrictions still. There will be some tariff rate quotas. There will be additional access with respect to now, but it's not going to be a complete free-for-all. But the New Zealanders and Australians will use the CPTPP negotiations. And, you know, I've, I've been told this. It's, it's not a secret. They go uh, to try and convince the UK to fully liberalise uh, its agriculture sector because that's what they've done as members of the CPTPP. And, of course, the UK will point to Japan as an example of a country that's a CPTPP member that still has uh, restrictions on agricultural imports and try and say that the UK should be given the same flexibility uh, to do the same but of course Japan's a different case from the UK Japan helped found the CPTPP the UK didn't so when you say fully liberalize you mean get all tariffs down to zero and remove all tariff rate quotas yeah so I'm just talking about tariffs I'm not talking you know I'm not talking about the regulatory side I'm just saying that there will be no tar- you know full, full liberalization means no tariffs on any imports of agri-food products into the UK so what we've agreed with the EU so tariff and quota free trade I'm subject to the rules of origin <laughs> conditions, which we can talk about another time. I know we actually do need to talk about it now. Sorry, no, we do need to talk about it now because one of the benefits of CPTPP over the existing bilaterals is that you can have more accommodating rules of origin, by which I mean if you have, for some reason, a, a food supply chain that runs through the CPTPP countries into the UK and back out to the CPTPP countries, you could, for example... Uh, include inputs from Vietnam into a UK export to New Zealand and those imports from Vietnam would would count towards meeting the rules of origin criteria necessary to guarantee tariff-free trade. So that's one of the additional benefits of having this plurilateral or multilateral agreement over individual bilaterals. But I'm not sure in practice how useful it is for the UK just because of how far away the UK is from all the other countries. So I guess, would that apply to something like Canadian wheat going into flour? Yes, yes, exactly. So that's a really good example, because that's one where it could, could actually be a benefit. So yes, Canadian wheat going into UK flour that's then exported to, say, Australia, the Canadian the Canadian wheat would be allowed to qualify as UK originating for, uh, for the purpose of claiming tariff-free trade when sent on. So yes, that, that's one of the be- additional benefits of CPTPP over just having... Uh, individual bilaterals it sort of binds everything together you've got to love rules of origin haven't you I do yeah. um, <laughs> Andy what about the flip side to this so the UK is likely to secure some opportunities for domestic producers in countries that it's signing bilateral deals with does that mean the potential for additional benefits as part of the CPTPP will be limited just one comment to make on the um, market access point that Sam made so um, in terms of, you know, opening tariff-free trade, so one country that would be very sort of eager for this would be New Zealand in terms of sheep meat trade. Um, they've got a much smaller quota than Australia for how much sheep imports can come into the UK. But New Zealand only use up to about 70, 75% of it. So there's always some left over, but Australia pretty much fill this, but the quota is much smaller. So I'm sure there'll be some sort of case in negotiations from the Australians in order to increase that quota um, in terms of market access for the UK. So I just wanted to put that in because that's a fairly important point from an ag perspective. And then, yeah, what I was going to say for the, on the, for the benefits, I suppose, like you said, most of the trade deals within the CPTPP, apart from Malaysia and Brunei, which um, would be an additional ones to the ones that we've already secured bilaterally or are in the process of securing, 
would be the rules of origin, which Sam's pretty much touched, already discussed. Like he said, that is beneficial in the point of when you've got, it's probably more beneficial when you've got a market which is pretty much on your doorstep, because if you think about it, you're going to qualify for preferential access to tariffs if um, you're using 70% of it or the materials used in it are made within that region. So from a UK point of view, from agriculture, if you're importing in raw materials from the CPTP countries, from pretty much the other side of the world, to convert into a product, which you're then more or less re-exporting back to those countries, this time things are financial aspects to take into consideration and also environmental. So, you know, that could limit the benefit there. In terms of the flour issue, which um, Sam touched upon, yeah, we have British millers do import a fair amount of Canadian flour to use in bread making, especially um, because Canadian flour blends really well with the British flour. So if, if there's like a poor quality year for wheat in the UK, for example, you're going to expect more of the imported Canadian flour. And we always use French and German as well. But the problem is, well, not only a problem, I suppose, I suppose a limitation of that would be that most of the flour that we then produce using flour from Canada, Canada etc., is most of it is then exported back to Ireland or the Republic of Ireland. And then rules of origin in that case won't really make much of a case because that's EU, that's not a CTPP country. So you would have you could have opportunities, but our main market is the Republic of Ireland for that or within the EU. Sam, you mentioned that other countries that are part of the CPTPP, they'll look to increase their access to the UK market as part of our accession negotiations. Will the UK be able to do the same in reverse, though, if those countries have broadly liberalised their agricultural sectors already? So from my perspective, and, and I, I don't mind the UK saying it wants to join CPTPP, I think fine. I don't think it's a massive game changer economically. I th- as I said, as we've discussed, we'll probably already have bilateral agreements with most of them. Fine. The, the actual benefit to the UK of signalling it wants to join CPTPP is, isn't really economic. It's political. You know, in terms of, in the aftermath of Brexit, many people internationally in many countries have put the UK in the Trump basket. They view us as being sort of consumed by nationalism, against rules-based trade, and, 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 you know, not part of the liberal order that we, not a component part of the liberal order that we once were. In signalling that the UK wants to join CPTPP, it allows the UK to create internationally and diplomatically a counter-narrative for us to say, look, no, we still like rules-based trade. We want to join this membership organisation. Well, it's not a membership organisation. We just want to join this agreement with, with a few countries in. And, you know, we, we're, we're committed to upholding rules-based trade. We want to talk about trade. We want to be liberal. We want to try and talk about some some of the rules of the future in terms of digital. So it's useful in that sense, but it's not going to be some sort of economic game changer. I think as we've discussed, it's probably, it probably won't be that noticeable to many people, but it has some other uses. Right. Um, interesting that you turn to the political points because that's where I want to go next. Um, there's been some commentators who have suggested that the US under President Biden may seek to rejoin the CPTPP after you mentioned Trump pulled out of its predecessor agreement in 2017. And the Chinese have also said recently that they could potentially be tempted to join. How likely are those two scenarios and what would it mean for UK farming if either one or both came to pass? So I think both are unlikely in the short term. I think I think I think it's much more likely that the UK joins CPTPP before the US rejoins. Trade policy in terms of new agreements and rejoining old agreements just isn't a priority for the Biden administration at the moment. Their trade policy focus is largely on enforcing existing rules. 
and otherwise they're just going to be distracted by the domestic agenda and and, and the sort of cleaning up operation post post covid so the US isn't going to rejoin anytime soon. We should remember TPP was really controversial with Democrats. They didn't like it. No one liked it. So it's so it's, so it's difficult. And then China, it just, I just don't really see it happening. The, the rules in CPTPP aren't really compatible with the Chinese uh, economic model. But from a UK perspective, it does offer up an interesting scenario, which is that if the UK manages to join CPTPP and then say in seven, eight, nine, ten years time, the US does want to rejoin it does potentially give the put the uk on a bit of a firmer footing with respect with regards to its negotiations with the us in that it has a group of countries alongside it and the uk will and the us will be wanting to join an agreement the us the uk is already part of so perhaps it will allow the uk to uh, push back a bit harder against some of the us demands of which we are all very familiar with so but this is very much a hypothetical yes yeah <laughs> it's like it's an optimistic hypothetical so are you saying there that you don't think the uk is going to assign its own bilateral deal with the us over the next seven eight nine years uh, so, so seven eight nine years maybe i think in terms of the next few years probably not i think we could see the uk and the us coming to some agreements on certain issues, though hopefully the Boeing Airbus dispute, which is currently hit, uh, impacting on, say, Scottish whiskey production and and Kashmir and the like, uh, who is sort of the collateral damage, hopefully that could get resolved. We might see some sort of movement on issues around digital services and potentially around taxation. But in terms of a comprehensive trade agreement, no, because you know, the issues remain the same under Biden, as they were under Trump, as they were under Obama. The UK, the US wants access for its agriculture, and it wants the UK to accept production standards that the UK public isn't comfortable with, and is not a particularly uh, good issue to go on a political campaign over, because you get the, you don't only get the environmental groups against you, you get the Daily Mail against you, you get the farmers against you, you get everyone against you. So it's still politically unappealing. And, and, and for that reason, and the fact the US isn't that interested, to be honest, at the moment, under Biden, because they've got bigger things to worry about, I don't see a trade deal with the US happening in the immediate future, although that's not to rule it out uh, on a longer time horizon. Amandeep, another political question for you. Ministers have been clear that joining the CPTPP has been a priority for several years now, but it's never actually been made clear how the government chooses its trading priorities. Is that a problem? And separately, but related, has there been enough consultation on joining the CPTPP, both with civil society and industry? In the um, governments, in terms of their priorities, I think we can get infer, you know, what their priorities are in the policy document that they put out in terms of desire to join the CPTPP, because they they quote data, digital, and e-commerce as the key sort of sectors there. I mean, that kind of for me gives you an idea of where, what they're trying to pursue there. And then the other point is, if we just look at what makes up the UK's largest exports to the CPTPP, the sectors that do so is machinery, vehicles, pharmaceuticals. So that's over 50% of the total CTPPP trade from the UK. And agriculture is a much smaller piece of the pie. So they might not set it out, but you can just infer from what the current situation is. And what and obviously they've said it in the policy document as well. Um, in terms of consultation, I'm not really, that's not really in my brief to sort of comment on government policy. So I can't really answer that. Mm. What about you, Sam? Has there been enough consultation? Well, it's, it's difficult, isn't it? There, I mean, there's been a consultation. I'm not sure. I'm not sure people were paying too much attention to it when it happened because everyone was more concerned about the loss of market access they're about to experience with 
the EU. I think more consultation would potentially be good just so that people could understand exactly what the CPTPP is, what it offers, what it doesn't, um, and the like. Because even so, even just mentioning digital uh, issues there, the, the fact is the CPTPP doesn't actually offer any greater access for digital services. It just locks in existing levels of openness, which is useful, but it's something different. You don't have new opportunities. You just have a commitment that you're not going to lose the opportunities you already have. And I don't think things like that are very well understood. So yes, we should have more discussion on that. I'm, I'm more of the view, though, that you know consultation helps to a point. But probably more important is that there is a stronger role for Parliament in all of this. In that I just don't think the existing uh, mechanisms in which parliamentarians can't really vote down any future trade agreement, which as a result means that their voice with respect of how it is designed and, and the government's priorities isn't really listened to, is I don't think that's sustainable. I think Parliament should at the very least have an up-down vote on trade agreements in future, as the US Congress does, and as the European Parliament does. And I think if that were to happen, it would lead to the government being much more conscious of what various constituencies think when it goes about uh, pursuing these agreements. You alluded to this before about the UK having some kind of clout if the US did decide to rejoin CPTPP several years down the line. Will it give the UK more clout at the World Trade Organization if it's already building up these alliances through multilateral deals like CPTPP? I don't know how much difference it makes, to be honest. Because if you think about the countries that are members of the CPTPP, they're already ones we largely get on with for the most part, except when we're annoying them over tariff rate quotas. So there's already a degree of alignment there. But in terms of the World Trade Organization, that has its own sort of groups that the UK can be a part of. Uh, or not, such as the Ottawa Ottawa group, that's one that's headed up by the Canadians, which the UK, I think, is it either has joined or is interested in joining. So CPTPP is sort of separate to to, to that. I would I, I would think because CPTPP isn't a membership organisation, right? It's not like you all join it. It's not like the EU where you all join it and then you have a set you agree sent, uh, joined up points of views that are then projected outwards via sort of centralised institutions. It's just a trade agreement with with 11 countries in it currently, and we'd like to be the 12th. Well, I think that's about all we have time for, actually. Um, thank you to both of our guests, Sam and Amandeep, for a really interesting discussion. And thank you to you, our listeners. We hope you enjoyed the show. We will, of course, be back soon with more. But in the meantime, why not subscribe so you don't miss any new episodes of Over the Farm Gate? Until next month, from us at FGNAHDV, thank you for listening. We hope you stay safe and well. Goodbye for now.